Well, ever since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, people couldn't stop talking about it. And ever since it happened, they were changed. One of those who was changed as a result of the gospel of Jesus is the apostle Peter. And we join the story of God in the book of Acts this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 36. Peter, after the resurrection, was bold, he was confident, he was certain, he was, he was sure of the person and the work of Jesus. And so he committed his life to give it away to as many people as possible. And on this occasion, he's at the temple courts. He's just outside at the gates. And he preaches this message about Jesus. He begins in the Old Testament and talks about how Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. And then even how he fulfilled the role of David and is the king of kings and lord of lords. And, and look what he says in, in Acts chapter 2 beginning with verse 36. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do? In other words, they realized that they had crucified the very one who came to save them. They had crucified the one that God had provided for them and they felt accountable to God. They felt convicted to their hearts, cut to the heart. They were at a moment of humility and they looked, what do we do now? We really messed up. And Peter says this, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children whom the Lord our God and for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and he continued to exhort them to saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Look at the response here. So those who received the word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls. Last month, month of June, I traveled with 45 FBCers to Israel. We went to Jerusalem and we went to the south side of the Temple Mount and we stood on those very steps that people heard this message by Peter. And we walked in that area and we walked up right in the middle of that, of that wall there are three little arches that are now walled off. Those were entrances to the Temple Mount. And on one of them, there I am with my dad, I'm the one on the right, by the way, uh, <laughs> Uh, on one of them, that was the, perhaps the, the, the place, the very place that Peter preached and where 3,000 people turned from their own way and trusted in the person, the work of Jesus Christ. What a great moment in the church. What a great moment to be there. And then uh, in a recent archaeological ex- expedition in that area, excavation in that area, they uncovered over 50 of these what's called mikvahs, which are ceremonial baths that the Jews used to go and wash themselves into before they went up to the Temple Mount to worship. And if you can see that center dividing stone, they would walk down one dirty and they would walk up the next on the other side of that clean. And these were the baths recently discovered, like in the 1990s, that 3,000 people were baptized. They gave their lives to Christ. Ever since the resurrection happened, people have always been sharing Jesus. 
They couldn't get over it. And they realized that Jesus wasn't just for them. Jesus was for everyone. And Jesus is for everyone. Did you realize that we are called to bring glory to Jesus Christ by sharing him with the people around us? And as we continue in this series called Made to Minister, each one of us has been called out of sin into God's family, but we've also been people who then would call out to others. This is not just about you and God. This is about what God can do through you. And we believe that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that was spoke boldly through Peter, a one man who once denied Jesus, scattered from him when he was crucified, is the same power that can boldly speak through you and me today. Did you realize that's our mission at Fellowship Bible Church? Our mission here is helping people find and follow Jesus. So if you're here and if you have not met Jesus, if you haven't found him and you're searching, it's our prayer. And by the way, everything we do on the weekends is so that you would find Jesus. And once you have found Jesus, it's our desire to help you follow Jesus. Because a Christ follower, here's the definition of a Christ follower. You ready? They follow Jesus. <laughs> See, it doesn't get any more complicated than that. But that's what we are. We aren't people just say we're Christians. We live in a Christian country. No, we're Christians. We're Christ followers. We want to look more and more like Jesus. Now, all of us are imperfect in that. None of us are perfect. Matter of fact, we're all here because we need Jesus. And we can't do this on our own. And we realize that. But we're here to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. And to give our lives away for that. I think about one person who just gave their life away for the gospel uh, named William Carey. And in the 19, not 19, 1700s, he lived in England. And he uh, was a religious guy. He grew up in the Church of England. He knew all the Bible verses. He knew all the different creeds that they would say in church, but he didn't know Jesus. Some of you come from a background like that. You grew up in a religious environment, but around age 15 or 16, you walked away and you never came back. And now you're re-engaging God. But you want to re-engage him authentically. That was William Carey. He wanted the authentic Jesus. He was self-taught in Hebrew. He he was self-taught in Dutch, in Italian, in French, and, of course, English. And he started to search the scriptures. And he even taught himself New Testament Greek. And he came across a passage, Matthew 28, beginning with verse 18 through verse 20. And Matthew 28 goes like this. All authority has on, in, on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you even to the end of the age. And William Carey realized at this point that the gospel wasn't just for him, that the salvation that came through Jesus wasn't just for him. It was for all nations. And his heart was gripped to go and take God and take Jesus uh, beyond England into other lands. He didn't know quite where that would be, but he came up with this comment. This was his best known quote. It says, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. That's a really good statement. And he was convinced that he had to leave England. And that met with some resistance. 
especially among the Baptist churches there. They didn't like it. They had the theology at the time that God's his, just let God work. God will take care of people outside of England. He, we, he doesn't need you and me. He's more powerful than us, and he doesn't include us in that work. And at one point, a guy stood up and corrected William Carey. He said this, young man, sit down. You're an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you and me. To which William Carey really wrote a treatise and, and wrote many different works on how the gospel is not just for one person. It's for whosoever calls on the name of the Lord. I, I love this statement that he said, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Let that one sit in for a little bit. Because it kind of brought me to my knees a little bit on this. There are so many things that we're directing our lives, our view of success. And do they matter? In other words, will they survive eternity? Or will they rust, erode, be stolen, taken from us? We've got to direct our lives over things that matter, things that last forever. And so he committed his life to go to India. At that time, India was in the millions of people. And uh, they were in uh, Hinduism and they had no concept of who Jesus was or what he came to do. So he left in 1793, April of 1793, and he traveled to India for seven months on a ship with a pregnant wife and three sons that were out of control. I've had three sons. Mostly they've been in control. But these were three little kids on this ship for more than a three-hour tour, a three-hour tour for seven months. And they make it to India. And whatever notions they had that this would be a glory day experience, it was a nightmare. They could barely provide for themselves. Many of them struggled with sickness. They lost a child through, dy- through dysentery. And uh, his wife went into deep depression. And then she became paranoid and very psychotic and tried to kill him multiple times and ended up passing away through dysentery. During this time, he started to learn the languages that were spoken in India. He started loving people by learning their language. He learned six spoken languages in India, and he took those languages, and he actually in, he, uh, translated the scriptures into those languages. One of those languages had never been reduced to writing. It was only spoken, and he wrote the scriptures and taught them how to write their language and read in their language. And he was there 41 years 700 people came to Christ because William Carey left England and went. But his legacy lives on. He's, he's the father of modern day missions, of leaving where you're at to going beyond yourself to share Jesus with others. And as a result of William Carey's leadership, we have people who are leaving Topeka this week. Our, our student ministry are, is going to the Dominican Republic to share the love of Jesus in a trash dump community in that area. It's that whole notion of moving beyond yourself. Jesus isn't just for me. He's not just for Topeka. We need experiences that move us that Jesus is for all nations. Because we're not afraid of failure, right? We're afraid of really uh, succeeding at things that don't matter. William Carey is a picture of that. Now, what if I told you that in this room, each of us could be a William Carey? 
that the same power that was alive at work at Jesus that rose him from the dead, the same power that was alive at work in Peter to preach that message in Jerusalem, that same power that moved William Carey to leave England and go to India is a power that's at work at us in the church today. And each one of you are made to minister the gospel. However, wherever, to whoever God leads in front of you. What if I told you that? Do you feel a sense of obligation or a sense of opportunity? Most Christians feel a sense of obligation. And it's a negative feeling. It's a negative feeling of, I don't know. I don't know what to say. And what if they ask me this? Or what will I lose? Or I'll miss out on an opportunity. Or I'll be rejected. Or I'll offend other people if I share Jesus with this. Why do we struggle with the gospel? Why do we struggle personally sharing it with others? Because it's invented. The gospel by its very nature, the good news of Jesus Christ, is meant to flow from God to us, in us, and through us. It's never meant to dead end. And here at Fellowship, we're, we're for everyone in the city of Topeka to find and follow Jesus Christ. And here's why I think we struggle. Because we believe a lie. We believe a lie, and here's the lie. The gospel is bad news. The gospel is bad news for you. It's too much of a risk. If you were to give your life to advance the gospel in your generation, you would lose this. You couldn't be this. You couldn't do this. It will limit you. The gospel by its very nature in your life is bad news. You figure of all the things that you'll lose, all the things you'll miss out on, all the things you'll have to change in order for the gospel to be the most important thing in your life, and you think about it as a loss proposition, you don't see it as an opportunity. And it's rooted in this. It's, it's, the lie is fed by fear, and it's rooted in our love for glory. Here's what I mean by glory. In John chapter 12, Jesus had just resurrected Lazarus from the dead. And you see a whole group of people who believe and put their faith in him. But you also see people who are resistant to him. And he raised Lazarus and then the story and the narrative of the story of the life of Jesus moves right into the final week of his life. It's a major culmination of confrontation, of rejection for him. And John makes a transition of a commentary on people who were believing in Jesus at that point. He says in John 12, 42, he says, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, which means Jewish leaders, they believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. They saw it as they didn't want to lose their place in church. That was the synagogue. And look at how John calls it. He saw right into their hearts. He said, verse 43, For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That's a humbling statement, is it? And it asks us the question, it begs the question in each of our lives, which glory are you living for? Are you living for the glory of man or the glory of God? Now, what is the glory of man? Well, as I look at it, there's five A words that, that define the glory of man. The first word that I see in, in glory for ourselves is the glory to be accepted. We want to be accepted. We love to be liked. Hi, I'm Joe, and I love to be liked. It bothers me when people don't accept me. I fear being rejected, especially by people I look up to. And that fear of rejection 
and that desire to have the glory of acceptance will limit me from from advancing the gospel. Secondly, I want to be admired. We want to be respected. We want to be esteemed. We want people to look at our lives and go, I want to be like that. We like the role model position. And as I think about this, if it's going to be about me and whether or not I'm respected or whether or not I'm valued, I will rarely step down and let the glory of the gospel shine through me. Some of us like to be affirmed. Maybe we come from a background where we were never encouraged and we just long for people to encourage us, long for people to say, you're doing well, I'm proud of you, you are so good at... And if it's all about us and our affirmation, we will never share the gospel. Secondly, we like to be appreciated. We like people when we do something, especially sacrificially, we like people to go, good job. We like people to to uh, appreciate us when we've gone out of the way for them. We like to be called out. We like to be noticed. We like to be significant. And we also like to be affluent. We like life on our own terms without depending on anyone. With wanting to live our lives the way we want to live our lives. And as long as it's about my glory, my position, my status, my affirmation, whatever, whatever... It is that gets in the way of glory of of God. It's going to feed the fear of the gospel. And the gospel will no longer be good news for you. And to all of these aspects of glory, the gospel is our greatest threat then to our personal glory. But what Jesus said right in that picture uh, that's shared by John in John chapter 12 earlier... Jesus says that the gospel is good news. It's good news. The gospel by its very nature is good news. I got to go to Nazareth also in June of this year. And Nazareth was the town where Jesus was raised. It was a small town at the time of Christ. Right now it has hundreds of thousands of people. But back at that time it was a small little village. And in Nazareth... They found a, uh, a wine press where they would stomp on wine, on grapes. And the, the, the juice would flow down and into the vat. And they would put it into skins where it would ferment and become wine. And they found this place and they built this recreation of what, what uh, scholars believe Nazareth would look like. And as I traveled there with our 45 FBCers, they actually build, built houses in different buildings to show made out of the same materials that were used in the first century. And in one of the places, they built a synagogue. And in Luke chapter 4, it talks about Jesus going into that synagogue in Nazareth and opening up a scroll from the Old Testament. See those clay jars to the right of that, the speaker there? Those were filled with with uh, scrolls that rolled out, and it was the the Bible or the Old Testament scriptures written on strips of leather, and the scroll of Isaiah was there. And Isaiah, because it's a big book, was a big, long, honking scroll. And Jesus took that scroll and rolled it out, and he shared who he was in his hometown. And he said this, he read from Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me 
to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, good news. Ever since Jesus started preaching it about himself, it was good news. It wasn't bad news. And what was it good news about it? That God is no longer against us. That God is for us. And that Jesus came and he lived perfectly for us. We can't live perfectly. We can live better than people around us. And most of us judge ourselves higher than the bad people around us, right? But we all fall short of measuring up to Jesus's perfection. He lived perfectly for us. He died finally for us. A lot of us think we can make our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds. And we can be good people. You just got to be good enough and God will accept you. But even our righteousness, the scripture says, is like filthy rags. We can't save ourselves. Dirty people can't make dirty people clean. We have to have Jesus wash us clean. And Jesus make us right with God. And he did. On the cross, he died for our sins and completely satisfied the wrath of God and the righteousness of God. On the cross, it's totally done. That's good news. Because we don't have to work for it. Because we can't work for it. We don't have to be perfect enough because we can't be perfect enough. Jesus did that. It's good news, but it's all preached amongst the backdrop of bad news in our lives. And the bad news is this. We're far off. We're far worse off than we think we are. But we're loved far more than we can imagine. And the gospel is that good news. The gospel knows who we really are. But Jesus calls it out on who he makes us to be. And so it's good news. It's good news for us. And we have to have that change. That change where we see the glory of the gospel over the glory for ourselves. In John 12, it says this. Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. These are hard sayings of Jesus. But Jesus is getting right to the point. As long as our lives are for ourselves and we don't get into the gospel of Jesus, we're just like seeds that haven't been planted. And I have a whole bunch of those in my garage. We moved in uh, June and I came across things I had not seen for 16 years. And some of those things were seeds. And they've been alone in their packet for 16 years. And I'm convinced if I went and planted them, they would grow now. And that's a picture of each of us. Do you ever think that we're a box of seeds? This room is a box. And we're all seeds. As long as we make our lives about us, we just stay seeds. You want to transform? Plant yourself in the gospel. Plant yourself in the good news of Jesus Christ that you have to stop working and start trusting That you stop trying and start trusting in the only one who can save you. And stop living for yourself and start giving away more of Jesus. Making him greater. That's what it means to give him glory. To make God greater in your life and in the people around you. To live the gospel. And so, as we follow Jesus in this area, we need to realize that it's worth the risk to give the greatest gift to others. Before I move on, I just want to confront you real quickly, lovingly, but I want to confront you because I think the reason we don't share is because we don't think it's worth the risk. And so what are we fearful of losing? 
Some of us are fear of re- fearful of rejection. And Jesus was rejected. He knows that. So if you follow him, he's going to teach you how to deal with that. But if I can just encourage you on one thing, if you've ever shared the gospel with someone and they trusted Christ, far from the rejection of what other people would give you, there's a greater glory when someone accepts Christ. And there's a greater glory when Christ accepted you when you were saved. And that glory ought to just kind of dominate our thoughts and motivate us to share him with others. We've been accepted by God. And the gospel's for whosoever. It's not just for a few. It's for all who, who believe and turn from their sin to trust Jesus. Secondly, maybe you are, are fearing the risk of persecution or humiliation. I've been to India, and I've seen guys who were beaten for the gospel, literally today, limping, because people in their village did not want the gospel, and they beat them up, and they, they severely marred their legs. That's never happened to me. I've been picked on and humiliated because of the gospel. But think about Jesus. Jesus humbled himself, even to the point of death. Death on a cross. But look what God did. God highly exalted him. You see, whenever we step down from ourselves, whenever we sacrifice anything in our lives for the gospel, God exalts that. Heaven cheers that. And I want to hear someday, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear that. I want to hear, I want to, I want to have Jesus be pleased with how I advance the gospel in my lifetime. Some of us are fearful of the risk of offending someone. And my goodness, the media sound bites on the gospel or even on faith or on Jesus today just kind of intimidate you if you believe that as a truth source in your life, that you really, the gospel is the most offensive thing, that there's one way to God and you can only have salvation through Jesus And that can be offensive, but it's always been offensive. Everyone who's heard it, there's the point. If my life is about myself and the gospel is calling me to live for God, then it's going to offend you. It will. But you know what? Sometimes being offended has actually made me wiser. Sometimes I've been offended when someone corrected me, but it was wisdom and it was life and it was light and I was deceived and I was headed the wrong way. And that offensive comment moved me around. It shook me up a little bit, but at least I know the truth. At least I'm following in the right direction. It's worth the risk of offending. And it's worth the risk of loss. I think uh, whenever I think about following Jesus, there's this temptation to put my needs beyond the need of the gospel in the lives of people. And I can go, well, I'll lose this. I won't have this. Or if I give generously to the Lord, it's always like, well, I won't be able to buy this or get this or do this or have this. And our culture wants to live life on our own terms. But that's a culture about our own glory. When it's about the glory of God, everything follows. Everything follows. Because a Christ follower follows Christ. So I want to encourage you on your response to the gospel. And everyone in this room is going to relate to one of these areas. And what's your response to the gospel? And the first one I want to, first people group in this room I want to address is, is, are those who are seeking. You haven't found Jesus yet, or you haven't chosen to believe in him. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Seek Christ intently. In other words, in a world of sound bites, it's good for you to have a moment in time where you define where I am I. Do I believe or not? 
Because our world is led by, and if we're not careful, we'll be led by it too, the I'd like to think theology. And it's kind of thinking on your own. It goes like this. I'd like to think God is this. I'd like to think that people are that. I'd like to think that the world is this. I'd like to think that the best way for our salvation or for our betterment is this. And I'd like to think is sincere in our world today. But let me put this forward. I think it's sincerely wrong. And we have to have a truth source. And so I would encourage you to get into the scriptures. You can go, Joe, I don't even believe that the Bible is the word of God. Well, at least figure out what the Bible is saying. At least try to figure out intently, what is the scripture, what does the scripture say about Jesus? Start with Jesus and work your way back. And I would encourage you to read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, the gospels, because they talk about the same life of Jesus with four different perspectives. And what you will see is four different perspectives saying the same thing. Jesus was God in the flesh. He lived perfectly because we couldn't. He died finally because we can't pay the price for our sin and he rose conclusively and defeated the power of sin and death and then you just have that decision do i believe in jesus and that's where you all have to come it's the second point and it's do you find you need to find christ personally in other words some of us grew up in religion but we have ignored the relationship and each one of us need to come to jesus personally In other words, I can't say a prayer for you. I can't believe for you. You're not a Christian because you go to church. You're a Christian because you've chosen to turn from your sin to trust the only person who can save you. And this must be done personally. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe this can be your defining moment if you've never done it. Maybe you could say this to God. God, I get it. I'm a sinner. I'm worse off than I think but you love me and you sent Jesus to live perfectly, die finally and defeat death completely by rising from the dead. I believe in you. I turn from my sin to trust and follow you. If that is your heart, you will be saved. It's not how many times you come to church, how much you give in the offering, how much you do. It's you simply trusting in the only one to save you. That's how a relationship begins. You humble yourself and you trust Jesus. And you seek to follow him. Find him personally. And then thirdly, live Christ authentically. Most people who don't know Jesus, most people who don't know Jesus are not reading the Bible. Can I even say this? Most people who say they're Christians aren't reading the Bible. We own the book. We just don't look it up. We don't crack it open. And so uh, most people are saying, what do you believe? We go, oh, I'm a Christian. I grow up in a Christian nation. I go to a Christian church. No, no. Who are you? How are you living? We need to be authentic. And when you choose to follow Christ authentically and live Christ authentically, and you love people like Jesus loves you, and you forgive people like Jesus forgives you, and you accept people like Jesus accepted you, and you speak the truth to people like Jesus speaks the truth to us, they see Jesus. Because they aren't reading their Bible. They're reading you. And so many people I've talked to who are on the sidelines of faith are going, I want Jesus I just don't want to be like that person who says they're a Jesus follower. And I would simply say, Christians are far from perfect. And you don't follow another Christian 
you follow Jesus. And we all have a perfect picture and we're all imperfect in the process. But we all have to come to the point where we live Christ authentically. Don't be a roadblock for someone by living inconsistently, by taking money from your business, by not paying your taxes, by cheating someone off, by lying, by not paying a bill, by treating your spouse harshly, by being authority in your kids but not loving them like Jesus. Folks, we need to live like Jesus. We do. And then finally, since we know him and we live him, uh, share him. Share him boldly. Everyone in here who knows Jesus, who's trusted in the work of Jesus, you have the same resources that Peter did, that William Carey did, and, and now that is alive in our church. We are called to share Christ boldly. If you do a word study on that word bold throughout the book of Acts where we started today, you will find that the gospel was always declared because people went bold. Bold is an intimidating word. But it's a word that we've got to put on a higher level than fear. And we need to speak boldly for Jesus. What are some of the first steps we offer for you here at Fellowship? I just say here, there's three. Number one is rooted. David Hinkle gave a great message on discipleship that we're made to make disciples to make disciples. And rooted is something we're going to be launching in the middle of September this fall. I would like everyone here to go through rooted because rooted will clarify where you are with Christ. If you're seeking him intently, it will show you Christ and you'll do it in the context of a safe small group where you can go through not just content, but experiences that really challenge you to grow in your faith. By the way, I think you're here because you want to grow in your walk with Jesus. I really do. There are so many other things to do. You could just relax in air conditioning in Topeka on a 103 day. But you chose to get up, make yourself somewhat presentable and come here. <laughs> I think you want to grow. So I don't want to waste your time. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to call you to Christ, to find him, to follow him. And I know there's a lot of things that can engage your life this fall. There's kids and you can just chase kids. But you can also wander from Christ in the process. And I want you to make Jesus the priority this, week, this, this fall. So I want you to clear time out to be a part of Rooted. You'll hear more about it as we prepare for it this fall. It's 10 weeks, but it's 10 weeks that'll change your life. Second of all, we have a one-time experience, August 19th, called Soul to Soul. And this is where we provide shoes for people of need in the Topeka area. And we go and we give them those shoes. And as we're putting those shoes out and testing those shoes out, see if they fit, we're sharing our story, sharing our souls with people as we do this. We have boxes all throughout our atrium where you can go and buy a pair of shoes if you can't be there for the 19th or buy and be there on the 19th. And uh, we have different sizes that you can bring. We'd like them to be new. It's amazing. When we ask for gifts for people, some people just bring the raunchiest shoes. Bring new shoes, okay? Because everyone likes new kicks, right? Yeah, and we want to bless our community with that. So go out and buy some and bring them back and put those in, in the boxes. And then this coming new year, we're going to be planting another church in Topeka, in the Highcrest community. Some of you live in that community, 
and you're longing for there to be a a witness of Jesus, the gospel in that community. We're going to be planting that church and we're going to be assembling a launch team to help us do that. Uh, God has brought us to this place and we're going to call many of you who'd like to be a part of another work here in Topeka to be a part of that church. You'll see opportunities for that out in the atrium as you leave here, get connected. So let me just ask you this question as I close. Where are you your best? Really? I know it's been summer, so some of us go, I'm my best when I'm on vacation. So you're at best two times a year, max. Some of us would say, I'm a best when I'm away from people and I'm away from civilization. Some of you are saying, I'm at my best when I'm in an air-conditioned room or when I'm driving my car or when I'm out on my Harley or when I'm, I'm in my new house upgrade or when I'm, I'm chasing after the best. That's where I'm my best. But can I just tell you something? As I have been a part of a church since my earliest memories, and as I've been a follower of Jesus, and as I've led followers of Jesus, I've observed this. Followers of Jesus are at our best when I'm living the power of the gospel in my life. When it's not bad news or old news, it's great news. And it's not just for me, but it's for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. I'm at my best when I'm giving the greatest gift that's ever been given to me away. When I'm not living for myself, when I'm not looking for the next little gadget to make me happy for a moment, but when I'm living for eternity and I'm at my best, when I'm experiencing the transforming work of God in my life and through my life to other people. I absolutely love to hear what God is doing in each of your lives. I wake up every morning going, what is God going to do in my church family today? And how can I hear what God's doing? How can I encourage what God's doing in you? How can I exhort you to continue to live the gospel and to give the gospel? It's the reason we're growing. Because you're giving the gospel away. And we still need to. Because I believe we're on the verge of a major awakening in Topeka. We're we're women and men and girls and boys commit their lives to Christ and live him and share him with everyone around. I believe we are the generation to do that. And I see things more clearer now than I've ever seen them in the 16 years I've been here. And I believe we are on the verge, if we are willing to see the gospel, not as an obligation, but as an opportunity to give our lives away, to get over the glory of ourselves and into the glory of God in our generation and pass the torch of the gospel to the next. Are you in? Are you in with the gospel? I need you to say, I am. Who's in? Good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to call you Father, that we are in your family, not because of our works, not because of our our good deeds, but because of your completed work through Jesus. May we be people who get over ourselves so that we can get into the gospel and advance it to the ends of the earth. And may you work, may great grace be upon us all as we advance the gospel, and may we know that our purpose is that we are made to minister the gospel. 
to everyone in this world. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.